Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello there, I'm Ryan Berlin, Rennie's Senior Economist and Vice President of Intelligence. And per usual, I'm joined by Ryan Wise, Rennie's Market Intelligence Manager and Lead Analyst within our Intelligence Division. Rye? How you doing, Rye? I'm good. <laughs> right, we have to remember this episode because we received some outside consultation and, and because our listeners are not actually here in the room with us. We need to be more transparent about who we're speaking to. Sure. So should we switch to last names? We can do last names, yeah. Berlin-wise. We can try that for this episode. Sure, let's do it. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the Bank of Canada's fresh interest rate announcement and the economic backdrop against which that announcement was made. And as always, we'll shine a light on the latest data on Vancouver's housing market and wise, as you know, it ain't pretty, mm-hmm. but uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, and so we'll elaborate on that thought shortly. So the holidays are coming fast and furious, good and a bad thing, right? Yeah, lots to do. Yeah, we had plans to, the best intentions in early November to get all of the gifts, like the list put together and the purchases made. And here we are now, like almost mid-December and I'm no further along. I'm also way behind. Um, My kids and I did start Christmas baking on the weekend though. So we're way up and running. That's always lots of fun. Baking. We did some fudge. We did some Nanaimo bars. How do you yeah. have the time? I mean, it took up like all of Saturday <laughs> afternoon, um, right. especially when the kids help. It takes longer. <laughs> They're well-intentioned. That's but it's why mostly I don't ask fun. the kids yeah. to help because no, they, they just slow they me like down. Because they like to eat the chocolate chips that fall. Right, right. <laughs> Speaking of which... Um, so my kids are two and five. The younger one doesn't really do chocolate yet. But the older one's like whole month of December revolves around the advent calendar. Yeah. It's like at, her whole day is just so pumped for this singular chocolate. I remember the days. I remember yeah. growing up with that little low quality piece of chocolate that would that would be the first thing I would think of when I woke up. Yeah. And getting to eat it in the morning, I think, is like just a huge deal. So like all through breakfast, she'll like analyze the size and shape of the door because oh, they're, they're different kinds. Oh. And so like, oh, which one might I get today? Yeah. Which I appreciate the analysis. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's just funny how much of like her whole day is consumed by thinking about that one chocolate. I love this is the holidays that there's been a resurgence of enjoyment. Like when you have kids, you know, and, and you see the, the, the magic that the season is for them. And, um, and so my kids are nine and ten fully invested in we celebrate christmas fully invested in christmas yeah they don't question the logistics i don't know if children listen to this podcast i highly (laughs) doubt it my kids don't question how it all comes together um i feel like they they understand who santa is they understand who the tooth fairy is like not a lot of questions on either of those right yeah but i remember when my daughter was three she absolutely grilled me on the easter bunny (laughs) <laughs> and I, I've never, I'd never, it never crossed my mind who the Easter Bunny was. She asked me whether it was a boy or a girl. She asked me how big the Easter Bunny was. She asked me how the Easter Bunny got in our house. 
And I literally had yeah, no answer. I don't know that I could answer any of those questions today. I know, I know. And like, why is it eggs? Chocolate and eggs. I, yeah, I why tell does you. a bunny give eggs? Okay. So this is the right time of the year to talk about Easter, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, that's enough of the fantasies. We will talk about the Bank of Canada's continued threat to raise interest rates, which is a fantasy in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's move on to the content of today's episode. And we should note that it is just you, Wise, and me, Berlin. We don't have a guest today. We couldn't find another Ryan today. So. Yeah, we ran <laughs> we ran out of Ryans. <laughs> so the Bank of Canada uh, just announced it would be maintaining its trend-setting interest rate at 5% uh, at its December 6th meeting. And this is now the third consecutive meeting at which they've held rates. Mm-hmm. The last episode of our podcast, which obviously everybody's listening to this, is already listened to already, of course. was literally called, it's finally safe to say that rates have peaked. And this latest rate decision really reinforces that view, obviously. But Mr. Wise, more importantly, as we look ahead and try to gauge the path for interest rates over the next six months, 12 months, 24 months, what did you take away from the comments by Tiff Macklem, who's the governor of the Bank of Canada, that accompanied the rate decision the other day. So we always sort of read through the Bank of Canada's press release and the comments from Tiff Macklem and the other governors of the Bank of Canada, and we really parse their language. People across industries and the country do this. Um, And so the Bank of Canada is always very intentional about the language they use, and I think it's worth noting, they tend to be quite technical because they want to remove, I would say, ambiguity. But because of the way they write, we go through and we and we sort of give our take on what they're actually saying when they say this or that. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, an entire paragraph about the state of the Canadian economy in the fourth quarter of this year and what GDP is doing, what retail spending is doing, what the labor market is doing. And there's a lot of comments about the slowdown in the economy, fewer retail sales, a softening labor market. And the last sentence at the end of the paragraph, I think, is really telling. Uh, I'll just read it. It says, overall, these data and indicators for the fourth quarter suggest the economy is no longer in excess demand. What does that mean? So my translation is that interest rates are high enough. The policy rate is already high enough. We're no longer in a supply-demand imbalance of too much demand. And so that translates to prices are no longer going to continue to rise. When you have too much demand, it's upward pressure on prices. So this is their way of saying... And we'll get their sort of summary deliberations, their notes out in a couple of weeks where they might spell it out even more, but that interest rates are already high enough. So barring some major change, again, this is their their way of saying that rates have likely peaked. So for all the threats that they've been levying about raising rates, they're really coming out here and saying, look, we don't, there's no real case right now to raise rates any further. And I think the threats always go back to inflation expectations. The threat is there to keep people in line to say, we will do whatever it takes to get inflation back to 2% because they want people to expect that. And because they want inflation expectations to be in line with inflation. I feel like they are, when they're they're signaling to people that they could raise interest rates further. It's like anyone who's a dog owner will relate to this. You tell your dog to sit and then stay, and you take a few steps back and you say stay, and you take a few more steps (laughs) back and you say stay, and you see how long you can keep the dog sitting there as you walk away and eventually not even speak to the dog. You keep walking away and see how long it'll stay there. And I feel like that is what the Bank of Canada is doing, is telling 
us collectively to stay. Yes. Just stay. Don't overreact to an expectation that rates will come down at some point. Recognize that, I think, from their perspective, they're just following the data. And right now, the data is definitely pointing to, hey, don't raise rates anymore. And I think overwhelmingly so. Overwhelmingly so, I would agree. Yeah, and so when you get to the forward-looking piece in this release, again, there's a number of comments, including a threat to raise rates further if needed. Uh, which you just covered quite nicely, good metaphor there or analogy. Um, But the quote again I would take from that is, um, I'll read it again. Governing council wants to see further and sustained easing in core inflation and continues to focus on the balance between demand and supply in the economy, inflation expectations, wage growth, and corporate pricing behavior. And my translation there is that they're not ready to cut rates yet. And it'll take a bit more easing of core inflation, a bit more of uh, reduced inflation expectations and calming of wage growth, which is still a little bit elevated. We can Mm -hmm. touch on all this more, but it's their way of saying it's not quite time to cut rates yet. And so I think the conversation kind of switches from you know, will rate will they raise rates to when will they cut rates or by how much? Absolutely. And I think I think it's worth clarifying too that when we talk about inflation or headline inflation, that really is that's the rate of change in the consumer price index overall, usually over the course of a year. And that includes a basket of all sort of goods and services, um, a representative basket of goods and services that people spend money on. We talk about core inflation. There's a few different measures of that, but essentially what that does is strip out some of the more volatile elements like energy prices can be included in that, Mm -hmm. food prices. These are also components of the CPI whose prices are determined not just locally or even locally, but in world markets. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, uh, we know that gas prices go up and down, up and down. So that can really, you know, swing the headline inflation rate around. But for core inflation, that's really not going to move the dial much. And we know that, you know, if prices in general are in check across the economy, but um, something happens in another country, maybe a conflict that leads to a spike in the price of oil, there's there's no interest rate in Canada that is uh, going to bring that down. Mm -hmm. So really at that point, even though that element is inflationary, rising oil prices, it actually will will at some point have a disinflationary impact on the economy because it will make the cost of doing things more expensive. So yeah. it actually can lead to an economic slowdown. That's a good point. I think it's also important to, as you know, as we look ahead, we know what the Bank of Canada is looking at. We have been beating the drum for many months now looking at the labor market and how it's been softening. And now I would say, I'd maybe use a different word now. I'd maybe say weakening. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we can go that far. Because the economy has been resilient, the labor market has been resilient, but really now it's unambiguous that when we look at the last six months, we've seen employment grow much more slowly over that period than the prior six months. Uh, The number of unemployed people is up over the most recent six months. It was down over the prior six. The Mm -hmm. unemployment rate is up. Uh, the job change rate, the the rate at which yeah. people are switching jobs, which you've talked about, is down. Yeah, and I would add, I think the unemployment rate rose in in four of those six months. Yes, so yep. that's pretty consistent increase, and in never declined rate. over that period. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's just a ratcheting up, and you know, as you said, we've seen the job vacancies come down, mm-hmm. and even people, the number of people claiming regular EI benefits has been elevated over the past six months versus the prior. So there's a there's a clear shift, and of course there is because we have much higher interest rates. People are spending more of their income servicing existing debts, 
whether you're a homeowner or you're anybody with a loan, maybe a student loan, a car loan, a line of credit, mm -hmm. uh, certainly. And there's also a major disincentive to leverage yourself to make purchases that maybe you you would make in a lower rate environment. Yeah, and that includes businesses leveraging themselves to make investments. Absolutely, so we're seeing sort of spending across the board come down, and when we look at GDP, we know GDP in quarter three, we just got that data out for Canada, actually declined. Mm -hmm. They upward revised Q2 data for GDP, so there was actually, turns out there was growth in quarter two, not yeah, a decline. Nothing actually changed other than the calculation. Some accounting, <laughs> yeah. yes, and that and that happens. That is quite normal. Yeah. And it's not not to beat up on Statistics Canada. It's to say that it was so close to being positive or negative yeah. either way that it's a, an immaterial difference whether or not it was actually two consecutive quarters exactly. of a decline, which really underscore uh, underscores the triviality of you know spending airtime talking about whether we're in a recession or not in a recession. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, we are in a virtually a no growth scenario right now. And if it weren't for the record population growth that Canada is experiencing and has been through 2022 and thus far in 2023, we're going to add more people this year than we did last year. And last year was a record by a mile. Yeah. Again, I think, I think we're on pace to add between 1.2 and 1.5 million people this year. Yeah, we last... know for a few months for the the final tally, but last year we added a million people and that was unheard Off of. Off the charts. Yeah. So if it weren't for that, our economy would be very obviously declining to everybody. We would all see it. Um, I'll steal a term from Benjamin Tal, who's the deputy chief economist at CIBC, mm -hmm. was recently uh, speaking back in Toronto. And he said that we're in a per capita recession. And it's such a good way to frame it up because we're seeing so much aggregate growth in the number of people here that generally speaking, spending, retail spending is up generally. GDP while down last quarter was up, had been growing prior to that. So in aggregate, you know, the economy is growing. But if you look at employment even that has been growing over the past few months, it's been growing by less than you would expect given the growth in the population and labor force. And so the unemployment rate has gone up. Mm -hmm. And likely without all that population growth, we would have seen job decline. I think it's very, very likely. Absolutely. On top of that, per capita retail sales over the last year at best have been flat and over the past few months have been in decline, both nationally and then throughout the country. Mm -hmm. And we know that GDP, whether you're looking at aggregate growth or decline on a per capita basis, has been coming down over the past two to three quarters. Mm -hmm. So clearly the bank's intended impact through tightening monetary policy is being realized. And the question is then, where do we go from here? So what are your thoughts on the interest rate environment, at least as it relates to, you can speak generally, or as it relates to the Bank of Canada in 2024? Yeah, so I think, you know, we have a, a bit of a break before their next announcement. It's on January 24th. So this, this was the last one this year. It's a good seven weeks. So I think we're getting a lot more information between now and then. And I think it's all pointing us towards, like right now, all the information we've had that you just summarized quite nicely is pointing us to a very much a slowing economy. I would expect that we'll get more of, that, of those data releases over the coming weeks. And I think it'll be more of a question of when do they cut, I think, we likely won't see them cut on January 24th, but I think that's, you know, when the conversation, you might see their language switch even more is, is to discuss 
less less about threats of hikes and more about whether or not they need to cut. I think we're going to see a lot more uh, painful economic data releases. And I think we're going to see a lot more people sort of stressed. Um, you know, we haven't had deflation. We've had disinflation. So bills are up, borrowing costs are up, more people are renewing, and we're seeing a lot more layoffs. So I do think that we're going to be much closer towards cuts by the time January 24th rolls around. Yeah, I, th- I agree. I think we will be closer. I think that it's very, very unlikely that they do cut at that time. So I, I think even if worst case scenario, I'm not sure the bottom can fall out enough from the economy between now and then mm-hmm. to justify it, but it can move us that much closer. And I, I do think actually we're, we are generally collectively underestimating the downside economic risks that we're facing. Because I think, again, you know, as we said a few minutes ago, the economy has been resilient and we've kind of focused on that, that even mm-hmm. as it started to bend, it never broke. And I'm not forecasting that the economy will break, but you know, when we look at 45% of outstanding mortgages in Canada renewing over the next two years, mm-hmm. everybody's going to be paying more, more interest at least. And in most cases, more money flowing out towards staying in the home that they're already in yeah. and less on everything else. I also think that there's some talk about the U.S., maybe being a bit more hawkish than we are. The U.S. economy grew by over 5% on an annualized basis in Q3 when ours declined. Mm -hmm. Very different trajectory. They have a lot more fiscal stimulus in the States. But I think what we need to keep in mind is that you know, their, their central bank policy rates only a quarter point above ours. And typically yeah. the gap is 50 to 75 basis points. So there's some room for them to tighten further without, without us necessarily having to follow them. And we would follow generally because if we didn't, what happens is money tends to flow into the economy with higher rates because it yields a higher return. And that mm-hmm. will lead that currency to appreciate. So if the U.S. dollar appreciates relative to ours, that makes our imports more expensive. So it's like we're importing inflation. Mm-hmm. So that that's why we'd want to, quote unquote, keep pace. Yeah. But we have some room to let the U.S. run here. I would also add, so by the time this episode comes out, it will be after the next Federal Reserve announcement. And there is some discussion about how hawkish they are, but I don't believe, my opinion is that they won't raise next week. Um, And so we won't be in a situation where they're more than 25 basis points higher heading into 2024. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And so I think, you know, there's various sort of estimates for when the rate cutting in Canada will start. And when we say rate cutting, we're talking about the central bank because bond yields have come down by 100 basis points in the last two months. Yeah. And fixed mortgage rates have started to come down as well. There's even some non-bank lenders that are offering, I saw the other day, 499 on a five-year fixed for insured mortgages because those can be securitized and there's a market for them. We're starting to see the direction of that or the the shape of that mortgage rate curve change. And we're hearing uh, insured well under six, or sorry, uninsured well under six again. And... You know, there's a lag between when bond yields decline and when uh, fixed mortgage rates decline as, you know, bond yields can fluctuate quite a bit. Banks aren't too eager to lower rates until they're quite comfortable. They like to maintain a decent spread and they like that spread to be relatively higher in uncertain times like these. So there's still room for more mortgage rates uh, for 
fixed mortgage rates to come down further just based on where the bond yields are today if they stay at that level. For sure. Uh, most recently, just under 3.4% for the five-year Government of Canada bond, which again is more than 100 basis points down from early October. And if the next few data releases kind of continue to point the direction they're going, if the next CPI is back into the 1% to 3% range, I would expect bond yields to come down further in advance of that January announcement, uh, which again, bond yields will go down more quickly than the Bank of Canada. And as a result, you should expect to see fixed rates come down sooner as well. Yep. I think that's, uh, that's a, a good overview. You know, at the end of the day, we're, we're heading in the right direction. We're, we're starting to, um, the clouds are starting to lift, at least as far as interest rates are concerned. As we maybe pivot this conversation sure. to add some more local flavor and talk about housing more specifically. Um, we've talked about how inflation and then interest rates more directly have imparted very direct impacts on housing markets across Canada, including here in Vancouver. And we've called that macroality. Yeah, I think that's catching on. I think that word is, is it. Well, is you and I on. say it yeah. to each other. Is that <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> Well, that's two. So I'm waiting for one person to say it back to me in a context outside of the office, and then I'll know we've we've nailed it. Great. So macroality clearly is still in play because borrowing costs are still elevated, and there's still uncertainty about uh, when and by how much rates will eventually come down. So mm -hmm. there's still some some uh, hesitancy uh, to participate in the housing market. But what's different now? here we are halfway through December, that seasonality is back into play. It's back. So what do we mean by that? I think what we mean by that is that certain times a year, there are certain things that happen. Real estate is incredibly seasonal industry. Spring is always quite active. People buy and sell homes a lot in spring. And winter is very much not active. People generally don't buy and sell homes. They're too busy focused on advent calendars or Christmas baking <laughs> or the Easter bunny. Um, as a result, in the winter, you can expect fewer listings, fewer sales, less inventory, and a generally less active market. And so... This macroality, as we like to call it, is still very much a factor in this market, and we'll kind of talk about why, but the seasonality that comes in play at the end of the year is so strong, it sort of comes back and affects uh, some of the activity in the market. So what are what seasonal patterns are we now seeing when we look at some of those primary metrics of our market, like sales and new listings and, and inventory? Yeah, so when you look sort of on a month-to-month -month basis, you compare November to October, the seasonality that you would expect is fewer sales in November than in October, fewer new listings in November than in October, and then less inventory as a result. Inventory being the total number of available homes for purchase. Exactly. So that all happened last month. We saw fewer sales last month and the month before, fewer new listings, and we finished the month with fewer homes for sale than the, the prior month. But there's there's still obviously a lot more to look at and there's a lot more going on. So the dominant macro forces that we're talking about, the interest rates, inflation, other economic activity like the weakening labor market, they're still impacting the market, I think in a pretty obvious way. So if you look, instead of comparing November to October and you compare November to the historical average for November, the past 10 year average, you can see a pretty clear trend. Sales were 35% less than average. So more than a third below what you would expect to see in a typical November. So two homes are transacting at this time of year compared to a more typical 
three. Exactly. Um, but new listings were just 2% less. So new listings were basically what you'd expect to see in a typical November. So people are still listing their homes at a rate you would expect to see in November, even though buyers aren't there and they're not buying those homes. And so as a result, inventory, the total number of homes for sale at the end of the month was above average. So that for November, but that's the first time we've seen that in this market in any month since the summer of 2019. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about constrained inventory every episode of this podcast since I've been on it. Uh, <laughs> and inventory is technically not constrained anymore because it's 2% above average. Yeah, and it's this sort of um, evokes the image of a bathtub. We've talked about this. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know if we've talked about it on this podcast, but I always go back to it when I think about the dynamics between or among sales, inventory, and new listings. Inventory is the water level in the tub as an image and new listings is the flow of water into the tub from the faucet and sales is how much water is draining out of the tub at a given point in time. And the water level in the tub has been rising steadily uh, relative to the historical average mm -hmm. um, for some time. And it's now, now above that on the back of both. There's two things at play here. As mm -hmm. you said, it's sales are way down. And typically we would see new listings down as well, but this is a different kind of market. So we're seeing new listings sort of uh, prevail at the more historical, typical level. Yeah, and the, the past few months before November, we saw above average new listings even. And so all that's sort of leading us to more buoyant inventory levels. Oh, I like that. So let's talk about, um, as we we're almost at the at, at the end of the calendar year 2023 where are we sitting in regards to total activity yeah so market? if we look at as of today as a recording uh so about a week into december we're just over thirty-eight thousand mls sales for the year um so if we kind of project based on how it's going we probably won't hit 40,000 we'll get really close maybe just above or just below but just call it round it to 40,000 sales that's way less than the 52,000 long run average you'd expect to see in a year that's way less than last year which started strong and finished slow and that's sort of puts us at levels that we really hadn't seen since 2018, 2019. So for those who were in the industry back then, they remember that was pretty slow market. It's not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, it, this I mean, is... it, it feel, anything pre-2020 feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> um, but really we're talking about, you know, a, a level of activity we haven't seen in five years. So it's not so few sales that it's, you know, historically abnormal, but it's been a while since we've seen this sort of transaction level. And so, you know, seasonal patterns aside, that's obviously sort of dictating how our market is changing month to month currently, which, mm -hmm. which hadn't necessarily been the case through the, you know, over the past 12 months or even 24 months. But we're now just going back to this, this, this comparison of uh, sales and new listings mm -hmm. and looking at how those two elements are trending. What thoughts do you have to share on that? Because I know you're digging into the data and found something. New. Yeah. And I think, um, it's interesting sales and new listings often follow the same pattern. Um, so again, it's quite seasonal. So sales counts vary a ton throughout the year and so do new listings, but generally they increase at the same time of year and generally they decrease at the same time of year. So they're both up in the spring, they're both down in the winter, they both kind of plateau in the summer. Um, 
but they generally move together most of the time. Um, and that hasn't happened the last, you know, four to six months. So we're seeing this divergence where sales are declining more relative to their historical norms and new listings aren't, they're sort of staying relatively elevated or around average. So the last time we saw this, uh, this divergence where mm -hmm. new listings were elevated relative to their norms and sales were down was 2018, 2019. There you go. Um, so there's a kind of a similarity with that market um, that we we're just discussing. And uh, I think uh, it's worth noting over that time period, we saw a fairly significant price decline. So the comp is a benchmark price decline by about 12% over that period. Um, and then if we look for sort of the inverse, the last time that sales were quite elevated relative to new listings, you got to go back further to about 2015, 2016. And over that time, you saw price gains of about 36%. So there are other times and other causes for prices to move up or down. You know, in 2020, 2021, we saw a lot of price growth, but both metrics went way up. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when you see this divergence, you can tell that there's sort of a, a supply-demand imbalance, not unlike what the Bank of Canada has been talking about. And so I would expect that if this trend continue, that would be downward pressure on prices where there is excess supply relative to demand. Yeah, and I think that that's fairly consistent with the view that we've had with regards to prices over the past six to 12 months that we certainly have seen some recovery from the, the depths that they reached at the end of last year. But I think some of that was uh, on the back of some hopes that rates wouldn't get, interest rates wouldn't get to where they are yeah. and that they would start to come down sooner and that didn't materialize. So over the last few months, we've seen some plateauing in prices of uh, all home types so detached townhome and condo and it's just very unlikely i know we look at the data we're asking ourselves what would be that thing that could impact the market in such a way as to close that imbalance between supply and demand and start to increase values and it's just it's really all about interest rates yeah. right now it's funny because this dynamic really shifted after june and july when those last two increases came for the bank of canada so you know, in the spring, you talked about that optimism of maybe we're done. Uh, but when those last two interest rate increases came, that's really when uh, we saw sales drop off, but uh, listings pick up. And I think to your point, what will ch what would change that? I think it needs to be declining interest rates. And just a, sort of maybe a final thought on this as we talk about that relationship between new listings and sales. Um, they're so highly correlated because for much of the market where there's a purchase, there's also, there's been a listing, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you're in the market, you're moving, let's say you're moving up through the market or you're, you're changing locations, you're selling your home, you're buying a new home. And what we're seeing, we, we can see a situation where sales are outpacing new listings. And that might be a situation where you have lots of first time home buyers mm -hmm. who are active and investors mm -hmm. who are also active, but we have that reverse situation right now. And we know that first time home buyers are finding it extremely difficult to get into the home that they want. We also know that the investor segment of the market is really feeling the pain of higher interest rates. Mm -hmm. Many of those uh, investors are on variable rate mortgages and have seen their payments go up, uh, or at least their interest in the short term and their payments will go up. And so we are seeing more homes on the market at the margin. And there are attractive alternative investments that just didn't exist Hey, risk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, up until recently, GIC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that landscape of opportunities and opportunity costs has, has shifted dramatically. Sure. And we're now in this 
scenario where we really are just seeing situational uh, buying, which has been the case for the past few months. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, certainly some things to watch within our housing market, maybe some things to be concerned about as it relates to our economy. Mm -hmm. But we are starting to see the clouds part a little bit. And we're hopeful that, you know, as we turn the corner now into 2024, uh, we will see interest rates. I think it's almost certain that they come down by at least 100 basis points over the course of 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see housing market activity start to pick up on the back of that. I think probably in the short term without much price appreciation, which which is, is going to be good for a large segment yeah, of this absolutely. market. Absolutely. Maybe we can regain some affordability. I do think that we are nearing the end of this cycle and that, uh, what the next one looks like. Well, time will tell. Time will tell. Thanks again, Mr. Wise, as always. Thanks, Mr. Berlin. Happy holidays to you and to everybody who's listening. Stay safe and warm, and we'll catch you in the new year. Absolutely. Thanks. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out our latest Rennie review and other intelligence information on rennie.com slash intelligence. To be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox, please register for intelligence updates. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com. Mm-hmm.